This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome into another edition of Finsider Radio. This is the Jake and Josh Show. I want to take a moment. Thank you guys for joining in. Thanks for jumping into the podcast and listening with us. Uh, just to kind of talk a little Dolphins football. Joining me as he does every single podcast whenever we publish. Uh, your guess is as good as I is over these summer months. But Joshua Houts. Josh, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, like you said, man, we're finally able to get on here and talk Dolphins football. We're finally going to bring our listeners the last of our top 20 uh, headlines heading into training camp. So I'm excited to finally get to do this podcast and to be able to talk Dolphins football with you today, man. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. We have uh, we have two off-season headlines, I guess we'll call them. And first and foremost, Joshua, I mean, I've been telling people you've been a ver- verified baller for as long as I've known you, but but all of a sudden Twitter verifies you and, and everyone freaks out about it. About it. What's the deal? I mean, I've been saying this stuff for years. Yeah, man, I don't know. I'm, I am I guess the hype has finally reached, you know, its full potential. And I, I finally verified on Twitter. I told you you need to sign up because I think you would probably, uh, you know, classify as a verified journalist just like I do. So uh, exciting times in the house family. Did you think about what your first uh, blue checkmark take would be? Like something that's just really out there, maybe even like borderline, just a straight up garbage take just to do it because you have a blue checkmark? No, I didn't. But I don't know if you saw my uh, Photoshop of Jason Locke and Fora. It was a little vulgar I put underneath it that he didn't know shit and after that tweet I literally got verified the next morning so I'm gonna pretend <laughs> that that is I'm gonna pretend that's what did it saying that Jason Lagafora has no sources and doesn't know anything that's what got me my blue check mark so yeah man it's a big deal but uh I'm still the same house I always been and then number two on the list is um did I, did I see again he came out throwing another scorcher right at us um apparently this time around it's that the Dolphins were going to get Tom Brady and his his quote recently about they were sticking with that. Uh, Mother Bleeper uh, apparently thought that was about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Did you happen to see that? 
Yeah, I did, and I'm, I don't know if I was drunk or what, but I thought he was talking about Tua again, so I got real defensive, <laughs> and then I realized that he didn't say anything about Tua. So, yeah, he, Dave Hyde said that, you know, he believes that maybe Tom Brady was talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick being that MFer. and, I mean, let's be honest, if there was a team that Tom Brady could feel like he could come in and supplant that starter, it would be the Dolphins. So, um, I don't know why this is a thing. Every day they're trying to figure out who this team was, but Dave Hyde, you know, pointed the finger right at the Miami Dolphins. It's just that time of the offseason. We're going to try our darnest to do, you know, fun things like these headlines and looking ahead. But, I mean, every day you're going to get someone having a take about Tua or someone saying something like this. Who knows? That means next on the agenda is the Drew Brees should have been a Miami Dolphin piece. Uh, we're hitting that part of the uh, time frame. And then we'll do the five best Miami Dolphin quarterbacks who are originally wide receivers. And it'll just be Ryan Tannehill five times. I love it. We're gonna, it all the content's going to be spewing out left and right. So you just kind of got to buckle in and deal with it. Uh, but to get us back on track here, let's jump into it, Josh. Um, I'll post it in the show description. I post all of our show notes on uh, Finsider, finsider.com. Google it. Tweet at us, and we'll send you the link. We'll hand deliver via the Internet a link to the website. Uh, so I'm going to post our first 10 headlines, and I think we can say this, that the first 10, uh, I did most of them, and the second 10, I think it's safe to say you did all of them. So we're gonna, they're both going to sound completely different because they're both coming from a different train of thought. Uh, but nonetheless, I think when you have a roster that's going to consist of 50-plus members, uh, you can talk about a lot of different things, especially with the Dolphins making that jump they did uh, from being a, what, 5-11 team to an 11-10-6 and 10 and 6 team. Uh, I think there's a lot of different things you can talk about, especially when a team is developing uh, that quickly, right? I mean, in, in theory, Josh, we'll start right here with you. Your first one here is talking about Raekwon Davis. I don't know why he said it like that, but we're, we're going to roll with it. Uh, but it's a good example because uh, I just mentioned it. The growth we saw from the Dolphins in year one to year two under Brian Flores it shouldn't be a surprise. And there's this thing behind that jump from you know, freshman to sophomore season being so huge. And, you know, we like to grasp at it, say, like, use it as an excuse maybe sometimes, but there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, there really is. And I mean, to me, I think the player and I, Raekwon Davis, to me that I can't get that image of Brian Flores with that huge smile on his face and just, you, you know, that, yeah. just thinking of how well he played as a rookie. And then to hear, you know, this offseason, him basically come out and say, you know, I wasn't happy at all. I can get better. And he's putting in the work. So um, he was the first person that stood out to me. Six foot seven, 330 pound Literally. mammoth. Yeah, <laughs> ma yeah, mammoth. And again, I just go back to just seeing Brian Flores over the moon excited. And I'm excited to see what Raekwon Davis can do here in his second season because because, again, that first season as a rookie, he went out there and he had 40 total tackles, 19 solo, one tackle for loss. He had zero sacks. And, again, he's not going to make those flashy plays or really stand out in the stat category. But he goes out there and he's a valuable asset against Mucks the run. And he's Yeah, and he just goes out there and he's that big anchor in the middle of this defense. And I think him alongside Christian Wilkins, I mean, uh, Dolphin fans should be pretty excited about the future up front for the Miami Dolphins. The craziest thing about that Flores video, it's because uh, – it was while all of us were kind of pulling our hair out because we wanted them to take J.K. Dobbins, who was picked right before them, if I remember correctly. And the fact Guilty. that Forrest still had that big old smile on his face uh, certainly speaks volumes. And, and Josh, I think Davis is pretty primed to have that uh, big season as Miami's uh, nose tackle, middle of the trenches. Uh, however, this rotation really shakes out. I, I think he is kind of primed in that position to be that 
main disruptor in the middle of the defense. Uh, the edge rusher should be a little better, which helps the guys on the inside. And, and Josh, there, it is worth noting, you know, you look at someone like Zach Sealer, who the Dolphins signed off the Ravens practice squad, if I remember correctly, before giving him a new two-year de- deal and before he continued to live in an RV. Uh, but also on that, you know, you have John Jenkins coming back to Miami, who I think he was with the team in 2019, was actually had a pretty strong end of the year, if I remember correctly. Uh, Jason Strobridge, I think he actually stood out a little bit um, in limited time. It might just be because he has the longest name and it's easiest to pick up. Uh, but most importantly, Josh, Adam Butler, who the Dolphins signed over from New England, it was kind of a Devon Godshaw for Adam Butler uh, trade, if you really want to say so. They just kind of signed with opposite teams. He's been the defensive tackle to be making the most noise uh so far in the quote-unquote camps the Dolphins have had so far. Uh, so I, I wonder where that's really going to shake up. I mean, we should expect Davis to be that starting defensive tackle. But I think the one thing we've also learned, too, is uh, whoever is technically the starter doesn't necessarily mean much other than you're going to be on the field for literally the first play. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, the biggest, you know, we continue to say versatility, versatility, versatility. I have a quote here from Josh Boyer, the Dolphins defense coordinator on Raekwon Davis. It said whether it's at nose, defensive tackle, or end, he has the ability to do all of those things. I know he's working extremely hard. You can see him getting better. We hope that continues. And then Austin Clark also went on to say, you know, his major focus this year is just finishing plays. And he went out and, you know, simply put, says he absolutely loves Raekwon Davis. So um, I'm interested to see the way you mentioned with bringing in Adam Butler and some of those other guys up front, how it all shapes up. But again, versatility, they're going to find ways to get those big bodies up front. And, you know, for so many years, it seemed like the Dolphins run defense was just, you know, always a step behind. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, this is the year that it finally seems like that's that stout run defense that we've we truly need to complement that pass defense because let's be honest that's the one thing truly holding the Miami Dolphins back is the constant gashing in the run game yeah it's it's definitely that I mean I'm so tired of you know second and fours you know third and twos or whatever it may be that the, the running on the early downs is really what sets up the manageable third downs right and that's something the Dolphins really struggled with so that you know strength in the trenches would be Warmly welcome because that's probably something the Dolphins haven't had in, in 10 years in terms of a strong rush defense. So, I mean, if you want to make the playoffs, teams are going to run the ball and you got to stop the teams that are running the ball. And Josh, you know, one of the big parts of the Miami Dolphins last season, um, especially in DVOA, uh, there's a lot of times where the stats go a little too deep. You know, I, I don't like to trail too far off the edge in terms of uh, uh, the, the formulas that are used here. But in terms of special teams DVOA. I mean, the Dolphins were at the top of the top. I mean, that was a unit was absolutely winning games for the team, especially early in the season there while the offense was uh, still trying to really get comfortable. So Josh, you have here as your second headline, uh, well, I guess storyline, I guess is a better way to put it. Can the special teams replicate the success of last season? Obviously, Matt Hawk's gone. He was a solid punter. Uh, but even on top of that, even if the team was returning all the starters on special teams, if they wanted to go full Tampa Bay Bucks because the special teams was that, you know, great, I don't know if they'd be able to do it just because the opportunities that team took advantage of. Um, I don't know if you can really lean on that or expect that to happen every year, but this is definitely something worth talking about because it was such a big part of the team last year that went 10-6. and six. 
Yeah, it really was. And I, you know, I started out talking about the punter and I honestly was a little tongue in cheek. I was kind of laughing when I did this because I do remember, you know, Matt Hawk going out there and, and throwing a passing touchdown and his little bit of an asset that he was in the, you know, the trickery part of special teams. But I'm looking at the stats here. And I mean, when you c- break it down, I mean, it looks like they're both pretty much similar. I mean, uh, Polardi's averaging 45.5 yards per punt. And I mean, Hawk has 44.7. And um, I hate to throw out punter numbers, but but there I just yeah, did it. But uh, it's making me fall asleep. But <laughs> I mean, I think the point is, can they replicate it? Like you said, you know, Florida's coming off that injury. So I thought it'd be interesting to see, you know, how that shapes up. And then, you know, what Hawk does to the Buffalo Bills, because it absolutely sucks. Then he ended up there. And then Jason Sanders, I can't remember how many consecutive field goals he hit, Jake. But was it 21 or 22 last year? I, I mean, every time. 20s, yeah. yeah, every time he was called upon, I mean, he was hitting those field goals and he was, you know, deadly accurate. And how much of that can continue this year? I mean, you know, how many of those field goals was the difference between a win and a loss? And, you know, all it takes is just inches. It's a game of inches. All it takes is a missed field goal here and there. And, you know, maybe this Dolphins team's only winning nine games in 2021. So to me, that was the biggest thing is how would the special teams improve from a year that, you know, they just played pretty damn well in 2020. Yeah, I guess the biggest concern is that Polardi didn't play last season. And I guess when you're talking about special teams, that the biggest concern is uh, your punter. I don't think you had too, too many worries. Obviously, we're going to have concerns if uh, you look back to that Seattle game last year. If Sanders is having to kick five field goals, um, then you're going to have concerns in, in that sense. But it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a, a pretty damn good uh, punter. So moving on, Josh, is, is your third one has a little bit more to do with special teams. And that's simply who's going to be returning kicks for this team. You know, we saw Jakeem Grant do it for a while last year, and I was surprised he actually had a couple buffs uh, in the punt return game, even though we thought he could be that sound guy back there, kind of like Jarvis Landry was in the sense of, you know, you'd put him out there just inside the 20 because you know he wasn't going to muff it. Um, Javon Holland, we've heard uh, he might be the guy back there. He's been returning some kicks in training camp. Holland, Miami's first, second-round pick. Uh if you say that really fast, it catches you off guard. Obviously, we saw Noah Igbenogany doing it a little bit last year, and I think he's still returning kicks. And, Josh, your biggest point here is that the Dolphins, could they let the number six overall pick, Jalen Waddle, return kicks this year? That, I mean, that's the question. I think we already touched on that on the podcast, so shame on me. I mean, you know, we waited so long, so some of these questions have already been answered, but I had to throw out Javon Holland. I or had to throw asked, out no- at least. Yeah, at least ask. Cause, mm-hmm. And I had to throw out Noah Igbenogany because, you know, when you go back and watch their college tape, I mean, they were assets in the return game. Uh, Holland, you know, he was making plays as a punt returner. Igbenogany, you know, he had a couple kick returns for touchdowns. So those two names stood out to me because, again, they have experience doing that. And, uh, again, I continue to think that Jakeem Grant could be the odd man out. But, you know, as we continue to see – Nothing is a given, and the Dolphins appear to be ready to go into camp and let the best, you know, best players let the cream rise to the top. So I don't know how this will play out, but um, all things are on the table, and even Jalen Waddle returning kicks, the number six overall pick. Yeah, I mean, you draft Waddle to kind of give you an edge wherever he possibly can, and that includes uh, returning kicks. Obviously, we had yep. the uh, you specifically. I'm going to put you the spotlight on you. Uh, the Preston Williams returning punts, resulting in his injuries rookie year. Um, that's a little different scenario, like we've also kind of hit on a little bit, where they're kind of built differently. And, of course, I mean, we're sitting, we kind of blamed uh, Williams returning kicks for his injury. But as we saw last year, um, he might just have injury uh, issues. You know, it just might be a, a dose of bad luck for this guy. So I think that's going to be another key here, too. And we're actually going to talk about that uh, a couple points later. But before we get to wide receivers, tight ends. Will Mike Gesicki do enough to warrant a second contract with the Miami Dolphins? We just saw Jerome Baker, a former third-round pick, uh, get his second 
contract for the Miami Dolphins. Gasicki is really looking like he could be a top five tight end in the NFL. If you want to say something he does not do well, it is a as a run blocker. Unless you ask Adam Gase, he'll think he's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the league. Uh, you have written down here he was top 10 in yards with 703 and scoring in six. So you look at those numbers and you look at him going into uh, his fourth year now, we kind of know what he's capable of. We just don't necessarily know where that ceiling is going to settle, Josh. And I'm going to plug a, a show we're going to do in a little while here. We're going to do a show called Five Things We Wouldn't Tweet About the 2021 Miami Dolphins. Basically, we're going to say some takes that we wouldn't really put on Twitter so people could search it and then roast us, cold take it. Um, and not necessarily because we don't want to be wrong. We admit we're wrong a lot, but it's just kind of we want to – have an opportunity to go with some of those uh, out of left field takes where um, you kind of go down different rabbit holes and talk about different ways the season could develop. And what I see that could happen here is that someone like Hunter Long, who the Dolphins drafted in the third round, could compete with Gasicki in the form of touchdowns. Now, I'm not saying as a player, but what I'm saying is I think Long could help the Dolphins really solidify themselves as a team that can score in the red zone, something the Dolphins really struggled about. I mentioned the Jason Sanders five field goal game. And you look at Gasicki with his six touchdowns. I could see Long being someone to put four or five touchdowns in his back pocket, just kind of being that tight end who's all alone in the end zone. Uh, so you, I don't necessarily know that the numbers – are going to justify how much Gasecki does, especially if he's taking so much attention away. So, Josh, I want to ask you, what do you need to see out of Gasecki in his fourth year to warrant that second contract? On top of that, the Dolphins are in a really tough spot because if he does enough to warrant that second contract at this point, he's going to have to get paid as a top, top tight end. Unless, you know, it's not like they did it last year where you could have maybe got him, you know, a little bit cheaper, you know, a couple million dollars saving here or there in terms of, uh, you know, Locking in that investment early on. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk about this so much, because as much as I think we can all admit we love Mike Gesicki, and I mean, to be quite frank, I don't think is you know, we've seen exactly his full potential. I mean, I mentioned you mentioned that we're not perfect here, and I had top, what, three in yards and scoring, and that was completely wrong. So, um, you know, I, I we are human. We do make mistakes. But for me, I think it is a little bit more about, you know, just – what type of asset he can be. And can he go out there and prove that, you know, he is just another level of a talent than a Hunter Long that they brought in, then some of the other guys on the roster, because, um, you know, that's kind of where I saw it. So I saw the writing on the wall when they drafted Hunter Long. You know, you said it, Mike Gesicki's going to warrant a pretty damn lucrative contract. And right now the Miami Dolphins have, you know, other needs and other areas in which they need to focus. So I'd love to see Mike Gesicki stay around long-term, but I think, you know, if he goes out there and balls out, and again, I don't know that he's going to have the same amount of yards, but to think that he could have more than six touchdowns, I mean, you mentioned him and Hunter Long might be going back and forth, just, you know, sniping one another in the red zone. But I think that's the way this Dolphins team has to be. They have to be much more efficient in the red zone. And in doing so, you know, getting Mike Gesicki and Hunter Long more involved. So um, talking in circles here, don't know what the Dolphins are ultimately going to do, but I think the way it sits now, I would be hard pressed to believe that the Dolphins are going to give Mike Gesicki that contract that he's going to get on the open market. As weird as it sounds, I think it really depends on how well the team does. I mean, you look at the Dolphins last year, they set franchise records uh, in terms of tight end touchdowns and tight end receiving yards with Shaheen and Durham Smythe. Uh, Gasecki obviously was the biggest part of that, but it doesn't mean that the other guys weren't included. Uh, so, Josh, I wonder, and this might be, again, You go, we go back to that review where um, – you say a lot of smart things and then I say something stupid to kind of derail the conversation here. But I think 
maybe retaining Gusecki is more about how well the offense does in general this year compared to his individual success in the sense that if the Dolphins put together like a top 10 offense and Tua looks really comfortable and he looks like the quote-unquote guy, I think you have to bring the band back together and understand that you have something working here and that's why you retain someone like Gusecki, even if it's on the franchise tag for a year or two. But if it's him who has a, a monster year, however the cards shake out, whether it's Tua at quarterback, whether Tua, you know, hits a road bump, if it's just him and the offense is still low 20s, somewhere around there, you have to wonder if the Dolphins are going to see that as a player worth keeping around if the offense was still really struggled with him uh, in the middle of it. Yeah, and let's not forget, you know, towards the end of the year, I think Mike Gesicki and Tua, they were starting to, you know, develop that chemistry. I mean, I keep looking at the Chiefs game and that, you know, it looked like the ball was, you know, had a radar on it, the way it went through three players' hands and just found Gesicki's, you know, hands just waiting there. But um, I think we'll see the way it plays out. I think you're right. You know, Mike Gesicki's not going to go out there and need to put up 1,000 yards and, you know, 15 touchdowns to get that new deal. I do think, you know, you're right. If they go out there and he proves to be that asset because I really don't know how defenses are going to game plan. You know, when you got Mike Gesicki matched up, on a linebacker when you got all these other weapons you know it's going to be very interesting to see the way these defenses accommodate for all the weapons the Dolphins have um we're talking about tight ends Jake I mean we may as well get jump right into wide receiver and I mean this is something that uh, we probably beat to death now on podcast after podcast everyone on Twitter is talking about it so I mean to me the Instead Dolphins we should talk about Tom Brady being the coach or the, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the quarterback yeah. of the Miami Dolphins yeah, we should definitely do that, or, you know, just Tua being a bust. But, um, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are assuming the Dolphins will keep six wide receivers, but I'm kind of leaning that they might keep seven. So, um, again, beating a dead horse, we're going to talk about this toward blue in the face. But, Jake, tell me how you see the Miami Dolphins receiving core shaping up not only in 2021, but beyond. Because, like you mentioned in previous podcasts, I mean, outside of, you know, Jalen Waddle and some of these other guys, I mean, some of these young players, there's not a lot of security in the Miami Dolphins receiving core. Yeah, you look at Will Fuller, one-year deal. Lynn Bowden was a third-round pick. He's got two more years on his deal for this. Matt Collins, Albert Wilson, Alan Hearns. Um, I'm going to say I'm not going to name them all, even though I mostly did. All guys who have about one, two years max left on their deals. And the same is true about Devontae Parker. And I guess the biggest thing here is what's going to happen that we don't expect. You know, that's kind of the thing I find most interesting about the draft season, right? It's not the fact that everybody picks the first five or six players. Hell, I mean, most people didn't project Jalen Waddle to the Dolphins, and, and that's what happened. But you look for those things that could happen that are unexpected and you try to get in front of them even though you might sound a little ridiculous and uh to kind of hint at another thing that i'm not going to tweet but i think it could be possible josh is there a world when you look at the miami dolphins and their contract situations and how they're developing this team where you have guys like will fuller and jalen waddle and even jakeem grant who are interchangeable albert wilson is in that list too we cannot not talk about Albert Wilson because I think he's a borderline lock for this team. And then you have another type of guys like Preston Williams, Matt Collins, and Alan Hearns who can kind of play in the slot, who can kind of play outside, and they fit that other role. With that being said, do you see a possible world where you make someone like Xavier Howard happy with the money opened up by trading someone like Devontae Parker to the Packers for some sort of third, or even if you get lucky, a second-round pick to make someone like Aaron Rodgers happy. Is there anywhere in the universe where that could be the unexpected scenario we see play out? Hell yeah. I mean, Brian Flores is the head coach <laughs> of the Dolphins, right? I mean, I yes. thought you were going to go out and get even crazier and say, you know, in a trade for uh, Aaron Rodgers and really, you know, turn this into a, 
quite the podcast, but I mean, that could definitely happen. I mean, you mentioned it. There are similar receivers on the roster, you know, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. I mean, I just don't know how it's all going to shape out. And I think that's kind of why I was, uh, you know, so eager to talk about it. You mentioned Albert Wilson. I mean, I can sit here and talk about him Tom blue in the face. And you mentioned, it. I think he's a lock for this spot. I mean, Jalen Waddle's obviously on the roster. Parker, though, I mean, that would be the name. I mean, he would clear up that cap space, right? So that's a good question, Jake. But I'm, I'm sitting here. the answers for you in, 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 like, a sense. I'm not saying I want them to do this whatsoever. It, it's, it's like the Howard argument. Like, I'd rather not trade your top talent. But if we kind of look at how the Dolphins have operated, especially this offseason, I mean, Shaq Lawson <laughs> made almost identical money to, to Devontae Parker, maybe off by about a million or so. Yeah, man, I really don't know, but I mean, what I do know, and I'll I'll just throw my seven out there. I think I probably said it till I'm blue in the face by now, but I would keep Lynn Bowden Jr. I would keep William Fuller. I would keep Devontae Parker. I would keep Jalen Waddle, Preston Williams, and Albert Wilson. So I think that might be seven. Did I name seven there? I, I, I lost track, but yes. um, I, that would be my receiving core. But I mean, who's... We mentioned on previous podcasts, you know, they signed Robert Foster for a reason. You know, he's making plays in camp. They signed Matt Collins to be a special teams guy. I mean, where where's the special teams guy in that list I named? I don't know that there's a player there that's has that same type of skill set that a Matt Collins does as a gunner. And quite frankly, I'd be interested to see which one of those guys can fill that role. And that's kind of why I think they're going to keep seven. And, you know, you said it best. We've been I've specifically been saying six. Uh, but the reason they'd keep seven is because you could use two guys on special teams, you know, a punt returner and then a gunner, right? So that makes sense why they keep someone like Robert Foster and Matt Hans. And you could make the case both of those guys signed new contracts this offseason. Clearly, they're part of the vision. Uh, could that be just for a training camp? I really don't know, but I don't see them signing Robert Foster on the second day of free agency uh, just to let him walk. And then, you know, th- this same uh, coaching staff gave Alan Hearns a new deal, right? So you really can't project where they're going. And, and there are these tough decisions. That's why I think, you know, you make it for uh, the decision made for you if you do a crazy trade like like involving Devontae Parker where you can get off a contract like that for almost no money. Uh, but again, Josh, you know, you you kind of said it at the top. This is a conversation that's already been had a lot and we got to have it a lot more because I really don't think we have any idea what's going to happen there. Yeah, and I don't think we will until, you know, we start seeing those training camp tweets that, you know, we all overreact over. And, you know, I'm looking over the list. There's a bunch of guys that probably practice squad eligible. So um, lots of decisions for the Miami Dolphins to make. And it's better that they're making those decisions than us. Before we get into a break, though, Jake, I do have, you know, written down here. Which of these wide receivers do you think is the most likely to grow alongside Jalen Waddle as Miami's future receiving corpse? So, you know, you're talking about Devontae Parker maybe being traded. You know, Preston Williams, you know, he's an injury away from being probably cut. Which of these guys do you see that could potentially be that young wide receiver that, you know, again, could develop alongside Jalen Waddle and be that future alongside Tua Tungvaloa? Everybody panicked about what the Texans were going to be able to do on offense after they traded DeAndre Hopkins. And Will Fuller straight up took over. I mean, yep. you could talk about uh, the, the simple stats of touchdowns, receiving yards, completion percentage when targeting. You could even go into crazy stats like the depth of a target when Will Fuller is on the field compared to when he's not. What he just did to that offense in terms of opening up the entire field to let Watson just kind of throw the ball freely, 
that's what we wanted at Tua. You know, you mentioned the Gasecki throw where it went through three guys' hands and right into his arms. I mean, that's what we're going to need for someone like Will Fuller can, if a ball goes through someone else's hands, that's one less guy who's trying to tackle him and he can take a play and make something big happen. So it's really hard for me to say someone other than Will Fuller just because I know he fits what the Dolphins want to do, despite being on a one-year deal. Uh where the Dolphins, you know, if you want to franchise tag him, sure. But if they plan on keeping him, I mean, that's just a deal that's going to be uh, pretty expensive. And that's not something we really uh, know if the Dolphins are going to be able to afford as of right now. Of course, if he balls out and has, uh, you know, a top 10 like wide receiver year, the Dolphins would find that money either way. So I don't want to use that as like a, a excuse there. I mean, I, I love that. And it's kind of hard to argue with Will Fuller. And I think you're right. The Texans, I don't think they had any idea, you know, he could just... I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, in my opinion, is probably arguably the best receiver in football. And, I mean, Will Fuller <laughs> went out there, and like you said, you didn't even notice that DeAndre Hopkins was out of the lineup, as crazy as it sounds. So uh, I'd love to see him, you know, have that big season and, you know, warrant that huge contract that, like you said, he's going to get. Um, I'd love to say Preston Williams, but I'm going to say Lim Bowden Jr. I mean, I continue to think that he's, you know, um, a unique talent, and I think he just scratched the surface of what he's capable of. So I think, you know, if I have to say a young player who, you know, the, the sky's the limit, I'll go with Lim Bowden Jr. I like that one, too. I think that's very interesting. The, the thing I wonder about uh, Bowden Jr. is I wonder if the stats would really show. I, I don't know if he's necessarily a wide receiver who plays so well where he gets paid like a, a crazy top-tier guy, but I could see him really carving out a nice hole with the Miami Dolphins where he becomes one of those uh, Swiss Army knife type of guys uh, for years to come with the team. Josh, you, you hinted at it. Let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we'll talk about Eric, your specifically your other uh, five storylines headed into training camp this season. Let's do it. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And Jake, we already talked about the Miami Dolphins' run defense, but I have to ask the million-dollar question. Will the Dolphins' defense finally be able to stop the run? We talked about them bringing in Bernardrick McKinney from the Houston Texans. They added Adam Butler, Jalen Phillips. The list goes on and on. The Miami Dolphins finished 16th in rushing yards allowed with 1,862 yards. That was a 4.5 yards per carriage. And I don't know about you, Jake, but every time the Dolphins go up against a mobile quarterback, they get absolutely gashed. So let me ask you, is this the year, like we talked about earlier, that the Miami Dolphins run defense finally catches up with that secondary? Short and sweet, I, I think history says no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if yeah. I mean, there are guys named Thad Lewis who, who you know, probably uh, have their franchise game or, or their career of their game against the Miami Dolphins. That's the only and highlight. They just show that game to all their family and friends. EJ Manuel's the same way. Geno Smith's the same way. It, it's it's been really frustrating as a Dolphins fan. So with that in mind, you you really hope so. You really hope this is the year they can lock down. Uh, not only on the run, but the mobile quarterbacks, just guys who are scrambling around the line of scrimmage. That's something the Dolphins have certainly struggled with. And adding a new uh, inside linebacker like McKinney could really help. Hell, you mentioned Brennan Scarlett here. I think he came over from the Eagles. He actually kind of fits the build 
like of a young Jerome Baker in a sense. I'm not going to say he's going to develop into that next Jerome Baker, but just kind of a speedy linebacker who can keep up with the guys marching around the field, sprinting around the field. So he has a shot to um, uh, carve out his hole on this team. So Josh, I don't know if this is the year that they're finally going to stop the run. Uh, I certainly hope so. And I mean, it, it's weird because... You know, you hire a Sean McVay to have a good offense, and the Rams not only have a good pass offense every year, the Rams have a good rush defense. This is Brian Flores' third year as uh, the architect of Miami's defense, right? With all the pieces he has in place, there's no excuses. If this is a team that still struggles against the run, and I'm talking like bottom of the barrel, then it could be an issue. However, if they're top, you know, 15, if they're in that 15 to 20 range, I wouldn't be nearly as concerned because then I will try to spin zone it like a homer and say it was part of the game plan. Yeah, well, I'm already going to spin zone this like I'm <laughs> yes. homer, and I'm going to say I'm going to say they're going to finish top ten against the run. I mean, I think you know maybe it's just because of when the move happened, but Bernard McKinney, I mean, that trade is going so under the radar. I mean, I think what he's going to bring to that middle of that defense and be you know as a run stopper. I mean, that's kind of what he did so well there at Houston, 101 tackles, you know, two years ago. So I think you know we're kind of overlooking just how much of a difference maker Bernard McKinney is going to be in the middle of that defense. And then, you know, we mentioned an Adam Butler coming in, Jalen Phillips, Raquan Davis taking the next step. I mean, at some point the Dolphins defense has to just, you know, get over that hump. And we're talking about mobile quarterbacks, but I just keep remembering last year was a Josh Allen that trucked over Kyle Van Noy. Was it not him? They yep. just, you know, knocked into next week right out of Davie, Florida. I mean, so that's what you don't want to see this year. You want to see the Dolphins be able to contain, you know, all the mobile quarterbacks in football, all the quarterbacks, but they got to find a way to contain Josh Allen because that guy's, you know, he's on a whole different level right now. And if the Dolphins want to be contenders in the AFC East, that's where you got to start. And speaking of the guys the Dolphins brought in, uh, your next two points really chat about them. And first and foremost, your uh, seventh storyline here. How fast will the rookies and newcomers make their presence felt the Miami Dolphins? Um, you're right here. You you mentioned that the Dolphins aren't banking on a ton of these guys, but what they are, what they can do um, is really lean on them. You know, you mentioned it. McKinney in the middle of that defense, he could turn in uh, to a top 10 linebacker with the team that's around him, right? Uh, the one I really see jumping in early is Jalen Waddle, just because of the chemistry with Tua. Um, it's kind of a, a cheat code in terms of a newcomer, but he's probably as much familiarity as anybody on the offense. Uh, and that includes the guys who played with Tua last season. I mean, the reps Waddle and Tua have already together are just so far to be of and beyond whatever the Dolphins have been able to uh, round together for Tua in his uh, year as the quarterback. So I'd go Waddle is going to be that first guy to really make his presence known. Uh, but you have uh, Matt Skura here. So so how about you pitch him to me about having, being the Dolphin to have the biggest impact early on? And, you know, Jake, I think what the most promising is, before I get into screw, I think what's most promising is that, you know, these newcomers, hey, have the full season. You know, they have the mini camps and the OTAs and the preseasons, the things that these rookies didn't have last year. So, you know, to rely on a Javon Holland to come in there and fill by McCain's role, you know, sure, it's going to be hard as hell, but it's going to be a little bit easier than it would have been if he came in last year. But as for Matt Skur, I mean, to me, I think he has the most experience up front as the center. He's that veteran presence. And, you know, to me, I think that they brought him in when they signed him, um, you know, when he let Ted Carras walk, when they didn't, you know, send all that money up to New England to bring in their center. I think they realize that what Matt Skur could do, you know, he's pretty good on paper, you know, maybe gets overlooked, but I think what he's what going about to bring, on the football field and on the football field, I mean, he's a, he's a good <laughs> pass blocker. He's a good round blocker. I mean, he could do a little bit of everything. So I think, was it Just Cameron not Tom? The ball. 
I mean, we could, yeah, just go and, and get that <laughs> sweaty butt towel out of the way. Um, but I, I don't know. Who who do you think? You mentioned Jalen Waddle. I think, honestly, Jalen Phillips is going to have the biggest impact right away. I mean, I said McKinney's going to come in and start right away in the middle there. But I think Jalen Phillips, you know, he's going to come into the game and he's going to be asked to, you know, go out there and get to the quarterback. And he does that pretty damn well. So I, I don't really have a good uh, sales pitch for Matt Skura because – it's the centers, and I'm going to let the cream rise to the top. But I do think Jalen Phillips is going to be that difference maker and going to be the guy that comes in and, you know, catches on and makes the biggest impact right away. The only thing I wonder with Phillips is maybe he gets the Tua treatment in the sense of, you know, defensive end, wherever he's going to play outside linebacker. He has the opportunity to make some big plays, but at the same time, you know, you let a running back run by you and, and he breaks off a 20, 30-yard run. You just wonder how short and or long his leash is going to be where the Dolphins might just put in someone who's a little more safe. I mean, now that I just said safe, this is a horrible comparison. But the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing, right? You know, Tua, he just wasn't doing the things uh, that you need to win. And and this defense is pretty damn close to being a, a title contender unit. And you have to wonder if Brian Flores is going to kind of play a little safer with these guys. And Javon Holland, that's probably why I'd go with him on the defensive end, just because he's going to have every chance uh, possible to win that safety job that is uh, open due to Bobby McCain. And I think uh, there isn't as much room for the Dolphins to kind of plug in other guys and let Holland learn on the sideline like the other guys. I think he's kind of stuck being that guy on the field um, in most scenarios that we might see play out. Yeah, I mean, I, now you said that, it's hard to argue with that because Jalen Phillips, you know, he's so loaded with the the pass rushers there and, you know, linebackers, defense, and wherever he lines up. So um, you're right, Javon Holland's going to be asked to, to be that Bobby McCain from day one. Um, I, we're talking about the rookies, we're talking about some of the newcomers, but Jake, a question I had, and you know, as a fan, you know, I can say you're saying I wanted Javante Williams over Javon Holland, whatever. It's way too early to even speculate on that. But if you're the Miami Dolphins, Jake, and we saw it with Kyle Van Noy, with Shaq Lawson, with some of those other guys, they cut bait right away. You know, if those guys weren't producing the way I guess the Dolphins intended on them coming in and producing, they cut bait right away. So are there any guys that you see, whether it be free agents or in this draft class, that could be those players that the Dolphins regret? And I do have it written down here, and shame on me, but, you know, for example, there you can't tell me that there aren't some people that maybe wish the Miami Dolphins had taken Justin Herbert over Tua Tungavaloa or even Devontae Smith over Jalen Waddle. So, you know, there's just an ongoing list of stories that we're going to see unfold. And, you know, Dolphins are damned if they do, damned if they don't. But are any of these guys going to give the Dolphins instant buyer remorse? The one, the pathway for Brian Flores not being the head coach of the Miami Dolphins in two years starts with this offseason in the sense that these moves the Dolphins have made, um, the doubters, I, I don't want to say that to like say it in some like but the haters have been against us from the beginning. No, but uh, we saw, for instance, we saw a story posted by CBS for some unknown reason talking about Brian Flores is in the hot seat in his third year after going 10 and 6 after going 5 and 11. And that is absolutely crazy. But for the sake of this, if there's a pathway for Brian Flores not to be the coach of the Miami Dolphins in two years, it's because he keeps exchanging pieces out, you know, every single year and treats them literally like pieces and not like players. And all of a sudden he starts to lose respect from the locker room. Let's say if someone like Shaq Lawson goes out and has a 10, you know, sack season, they start losing faith in the decisions he's making. He's trying to find the next big thing without appreciating what he has. That is the direction the Dolphins would have to go in. Uh, that someone like McKinney comes in is terrible and it is terrible. We see Smith win rookie of the year, and it's not even close, while Waddle has the Jakeem Grant drops, things like that. These decisions, um, 
it's exciting that the Dolphins were able to make these. They had the flexibility. But the thing about having these big decisions is that there's different pathways you can choose, right? So it's always going to be, uh, you know, Justin Herbert and Tua. It's always going to be uh, Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Waddle. So it's a really tight scenario where I don't think the Dolphins are necessarily going to have buyer's remorse on any move they've made, especially free agency. All those uh, deals they've made aren't long-term unless it's the tight end who I, I can't pronounce his first name, the guy on the Bengals who I, I don't, I don't know how he's going to make the roster, Josh. I really could not tell you how he's going to make the roster, even though they signed him to a three-year deal. All right, but back to this, that is the only guy the Dolphins could have buyer's remorse in because unless the uh, super unpredictable of the Dolphins really bottoming out this year and them having to move on from this current staff, uh, there's no way this happens. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that Jason Lock and Four article because that's why I uh, made that Photoshop that ended up getting me verified because to me that was just so crazy. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, as crazy as it is and as upset as Dolphin fans were, you know, hearing you say that, I mean, part of you is just like, I, this is going to be what happens because it's just so damn Dolphins, right? So I mean, damn Dolphins. It sounded so painful to hear that. But um, the last question I wanted to ask, and I have it here, you know, are they going to regret not bringing in a Melvin Ingram or a Jadavian Clowney? Because like we said, you know, they are relying on a lot of these young players. So maybe Jalen Phillips isn't quite caught up. You know, maybe Andrew Van Ginkle isn't quite ready to take that next step. Do you think they could potentially, you know, have buyer's remorse and not going out there and signing a Jadavian Clowney when they had a chance or a Melvin Ingram who's still on the market? You have to wonder how much money Ingram wants uh, because there was – Rumors that the Dolphins were still having discussions with him weeks after he visited. Uh, so you have to wonder what the money is there. And the Dolphins really don't have a lot of money. So we could say they, they should have signed someone like a Clowney. Uh, but I think it's worth saying that um, for the, there's so many doubts about all these players, right? There's a reason they're on the free agent market. Both of these guys are coming off major injuries, whether it, uh, Melvin Ingram, but him or Clowney. Both guys coming off huge in injury issues. I don't think we're going to have any ifs or buts about them because even if they come out and have a big year, um, it's it's a big risk the Dolphins would have to take, and it, it'd really uh, be a tough pill to swallow to say we signed Clowney for him to play four games, and as a result, you know Howard had to leave or something like that because that money was used elsewhere. Yeah, and you make a great point. I mean, the Dolphins, I still think they have three unsigned you know, rookies and they're not, the money's not just going to make itself. So they really don't have the money to spend on, you know, some of these big guys. Like I think what Jadavion Clowney got nearly 10 million, if I'm not mistaken. It's like the, the guys same. who, when, I'm sorry, when you start a new franchise in Madden and you instantly go and look at all the players available and then you sign someone who's on the market, I don't know, T.O. the year after he retired because he's a 78 overall or something like that, right? So, I mean, it's it's not a player who's, I don't think, really going to change the, the outcome of, you know, three, four, five, six games, whatever it may be. Yeah, shame on me for not really thinking about it, but you bring in a Javion Clown, you bring in a Melvin Ingram, and then you're taking snaps away from a Jalen Phillips or some of these other guys. So, um, you know, again, I, I don't think the Dolphins will have a buyer's remorse there, That's but that to me was... Though. Sure. That to me, yeah, it was more or less, are they going to, are these younger players that they're relying on going to be able to step up to the plate? Um, Jake, that was number 18, and these next two, I mean, let's be honest, they're pretty much one in the same, and I need to ask you, is this the year the Dolphins finally take the next step? You know, we're, what, 10-6 and six last year, any other year the Miami Dolphins are in the playoffs with a 10-6 and six record, but they didn't make it last year. Is this going to be the year that we finally not only make the playoffs, but they can go out there and potentially win a playoff game? So for that to happen, the Dolphins would have to play the either the third or the fourth seed uh, in, in the playoffs for that to really go down. So for the Dolphins to really take that next step, right, we'd have to assume, I mean, to jump over the Bills 13-3 and three last year, that's going to be tough. That's going to be a, a tough challenge. Uh, so the best scenario for the Dolphins to 
quote, take that next step, which I think it's very possible. I think it is very, very possible, um, is to secure a wild card. And then you go to somewhere like Tennessee or Indianapolis or, you know, Pittsburgh, team like that, even a Baltimore or Cleveland, you go into one of their stadiums and you punch them in the mouth and pick up that road victory. I think that's very, very much possible. It's Brian Flores in his third year. And you have to wonder if we'd be okay, you know, at the end of the year going nine and eight and saying like, all right, we took another step in the right direction because we were able to do that this year for the sake of you go from five and 11 to 10 and six. That's an incredible jump. You see what happened to them in week 17 against the bills in the sense of, they just kind of got absolutely mowed over. I still have not rewatched that game to this day. Um, And that was kind of the reason we were able to justify not making the playoffs because we understood that, is it really worth to make the playoffs just to go get absolutely crushed by the Bills two weeks in a row or something like that, right? So I think the Dolphins set up their focus for us to really understand it easily at the end of last year. Uh, that that all changes this year because I don't think you can really uh, – if you get killed by Buffalo in week 17 two years in a row, I am don't even think that's how the schedule works out. But that that's a situation where you got to start putting your hand around that panic button if you're uh, you know, a fan of the Dolphins. Yeah, and I think we talked about it before, and, you know, you kind of said, you know, there are people that basically say, you know, the Dolphins go out there and they could only win nine games or, you know, you could find the glass half full and everything. I don't think you can with this. I think the Dolphins, you know, they have to go out there and, like you said, they have to get retribution for that ass whooping they got in Week 17, and they got to prove that, you know, this is a different team. You know, we talk about time and time again, and I hate to, you know, be negative, but, you know, we felt inspiration. You know, we felt inspired by what Adam Gates did in, what, the first two seasons. You know, we kind of had a little bit of belief in him. I mean, we need to see that it's a little bit more than just hope, you know. So I I hope that they can go out there and they can bring it all together. And uh, I think we all have the utmost confidence in Brian Flores. And, again, absolutely not in the hot seat where we'd go to war with him. And I think, you know, this is the year that the Dolphins go out there. And whether they only win 10 games, you know, maybe they win nine and make the playoffs. Whatever it is, I think they make the playoffs. And like you said, why not Miami when they make the play? I mean, we felt that way last year. If they snuck into the playoffs last year, and, you know, it's it's painful to say now after that Week 17 um, beatdown, but if they snuck into the playoffs last year, there was a good chance that they could go out there and, and truly, you know, surprise some teams. They could beat, beat a Pittsburgh. A Pittsburgh yeah, they could beat a – yeah. Potentially in Baltimore, Tennessee. I mean, the list goes on. So that's all it takes is just to make the playoffs. And I think the Dolphins could do the rest from there. So I think it would be an utter failure and disappointment like I've written here if they don't make it. But I think that I can, all homer aside, I think the Dolphins make the playoffs this season. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying too. And this is another thing I don't want to tweet, but I don't see a world where Josh Allen doesn't regress even like a little bit for two years of being absolutely, you know, uh, lack of better words, a joke. Like, like there were franchises making fun of Josh Allen, like nonstop. For him to come out and be awesome, the the Bills went six and zero in the division. Then uh, these are things I don't see happening again. Just because you think about the statistic, Josh, I think it's forty percent of teams that make the uh, the playoffs switch every year. That's just how great the NFL has been at. Uh, you know, just kind of being one of those leagues that doesn't have two teams running the show, except once it's the Super Bowl, it's always the Patriots. Lucky us. Uh, but you, then you look at it to the point differential. The Dolphins had a better t- point differential than two teams that made the playoffs last year. The Titans, who won their division, and, and Cleveland, who was actually negative 11 after making the playoffs at 11-5. and five. So, I mean, th- th- I think there's real opportunity for the Dolphins to uh, get into the playoffs. And I'm not going to say sneak. I mean, get into the playoffs, lock up maybe the five seed, lock up a division spot. You know, I won't say no. 
please test me. I will not say no. Uh, but but that needs to be the next step for the Dolphins. And, of course, there are scenarios. They make the playoffs. They face a Kansas City Chiefs team that was without Patrick Mahomes for five games. So they actually went, you know, 11-7 and seven or something like that, and they get pumped in the first round. That we can justify, right? But we need to see that growth. And, and the biggest reason for that growth, Josh, is point number 10, I guess, for you. And that is, can this become Tua Tungvaloa's team? And, you know, I, I don't mean that in the sense that he's not the quarterback one heading into this, you know, season because it is clear as day now this is Tua Tungvaloa's team. But can he go out there and be that quarterback? That, this you know, franchise be Tua's. That's how franchise. There you go. Perfect. And, you know, <laughs> can he go out there and be that quarterback that we all expected him to do? You know, he won six, he went six and three last year. We all know he, he didn't play as well as he wanted. You know, we all know the different hurdles that he had overcome. But all of that aside, you know, he's got the weapons now. You know, he's got this team around him. And we mentioned it last year. They went out there and won 10 games. So can Tua Tungvaloa make his mark on the Miami Dolphins, prove that he is that franchise quarterback? You know, we say franchise quarterback. I said the same thing about Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, in hindsight, you know, Ryan Tannehill wasn't the problem here in Miami. But I think Tua Tungvaloa needs to go out there and just prove to not only – internally to the Dolphins fan franchise that they made the right decision, but to the fan base. And I think, you know, with this offseason bulking up, getting bigger, you know, building the offense around him, bringing in all that speed, like we said, I think this will be the time. And, you know, that probably is a little bit of homer in me. And, you know, I'm probably saying that just to, to shout it out there and try to make myself believe in it a little bit because all, you know, we can sit here and say that Tua had a disappointing rookie season. I think we can all admit that, but we want to see more this year. And I think it's going to be the season for Tua. What do you specifically need to see more of to really be comfortable calling two other franchise quarterback? For me, it's just an understanding of the NFL game, I guess. You know, I continue to talk about his elite trait being the accuracy. And to me, you know, whether it was because the hip wasn't right, because it was mechanics, whatever it might have been, Tua Tonvaloa just looked off. So I want to see him go out there, rip it, and, you know, as cliche as it sounds, be that quarterback that we all fell in love with at Tuscaloosa. I think for me, it's really that urgency on third downs. I mean, the amount of third downs where I just see Ryan Tannehill get sacked, I don't know. And again, all the sacks weren't his fault, you know, getting him the blind side. But but that quarterback who you see him operating, especially on third and four, third and seven e- even, where he's doing everything he can, kicking, screaming, scrambling around the pocket and everything between uh, to find that first down. Just I don't want to see a scenario, especially late in the season, where the Dolphins are lining up for third and five and us instantly thinking we're doomed because we know the ball's going to get bad at the line of scrimmage, because we know he's not going to see a defender coming and he's going to get sacked, and then that's the game. Uh, that We're not going to have to settle for a bunch of Jason Sanders field goals late in games, where we're not going to have to sit there and debate, should they have went for it on fourth down because they converted it on third down? Those are the little things. Obviously, it's easier to say uh, when they're not happening, right? Uh, but I do think that's the the real identity that we need to see out of the Miami Dolphins offense to really be comfortable with Tua being that guy. Uh, because there, I think there is definitely a scenario where the Dolphins, I think, can go 11-6 and six this year. And people could still be wondering if, uh, I don't know, if he's really that franchise quarterback we're looking for. I mean, you saw what the 49ers did with Garoppolo for years. Uh, I'm not saying that's a comparison whatsoever. But, but there are scenarios where this Dolphins team can be good and, and still have question marks uh, about their quarterback. Yeah, and I, I want to see Tua use a little bit more of his mobility. I mean, in some of those games where, you know, he truly looked like the two of old, I mean, I think the Kansas City game was one of them. I think uh, I talk, I joke about the New England game. He's undefeated against them, but didn't he have two rushing touchdowns in that game? I mean, 
one of what makes him so deadly and, you know, a, a difference maker, obviously he's a quarterback, but is his ability to, you know, run that R, run those RPOs and to be accurate in his decision making. So I want to see more of that this year. And, you know, as I hate even bringing it up, but I don't want to see Jacoby Brissett, you know, take over the range. You know, I, <laughs> I, at no point in the season should we even have to think about putting Jacoby Brissett in that into the game, because at that point, then, you know, maybe. But if Reed Sinet comes in, ooh, ooh, then, then he's big. He's, a, he's tall and has big hands. Shout out Brock Osweiler. All right, all right, all right. That is our second edition of our 20 storylines heading into training camp. We apologize it's taken a little longer to get this one out, but again, it's the off season. I'd rather us kind of pace ourselves and do some sort of shows with relatively good content instead of talking about how um, Dan Marino would have won a Super Bowl if he never started an Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I, I don't know, but that's really at the point of the offseason we're getting. Uh, but but these headlines, these storylines are all going to be up on Finsider.com. And if you guys are enjoying this podcast, uh, if you guys love joining in with us as much as we love recording the show, I, I please am asking you to hit that subscribe button to know the second we are dropping a new show. As we start to get closer to some sort of season in terms of training camp OTAs, it is no doubt we'll be doing two shows a week. Uh, but until then, it's going to be jumping between one and two. Uh, you know, whether it's me having to deal with work, Josh having to juggle his uh, rugrats around, uh, w- just hit that subscribe button so you'll know when we got a new pod out so you guys can enjoy that with us. And if you guys enjoy the show so much, I, uh, I'd i like to invite you to leave a rate, leave a review. That stuff helps us so much. It helps others find the show when they're searching for Dolphins Podcast. So if you can, leave a review. I want to give a shout-out to the Joseph87 who left us one on Wednesday of last week, uh, this today being Monday the 28th. Uh, his review says, not a Dolphins fan, but I'm a Packers fan who grew up in Miami. I decided to check out y'all for the miles on the full tank of Gasket since he helped me win a championship title. Very nice. Y'all have great takes, great banner, and the fart sound was just the cherry on top. It's a little smelly cherry, but, but I guess we'll, we'll let that one slide. Stinky um, cherry. <laughs> my only suggestion is sometimes the audio comes out low and it's hard to hear y'all without putting up the volume. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, we're going to have to go to our uh, our intern that we keep um, at a, a location that will not be specified and yell at him for Hosh messing jouts. up our audio so much. Hosh Jouts did it. <laughs> Hosh Jouts, yes. Our intern, Hosh Jouts. <laughs> But yeah, like like Jake said, I mean, we already had the first 10. I'm going to put all 20 together, and I think if you're okay with it, Jake, I'll throw it up on YouTube sometime this week, and we will have 20 headlines heading into training camp. But guys, like Jake said, thank you guys so much for listening to the Jake and Josh Show, SB Nation's official Miami Dolphins podcast. If you like what you're listening to, like, subscribe, give us a five-star review. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can follow me at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. And my co-host, the greatest one in the entire world, is Jake Mendel. Follow him at J-M-E. And DEL 94 for the Finsider Radio Podcast, part of SB Nation Network. I'm Josh Houts. That's Jake Mendel. We'll talk to you next time. It's Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
Miami has a dolphin, the greatest football team. We train the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami 